But I want to talk to you a little bit tonight out of 2 Corinthians 4 about pain in life. You know, when I was playing sports, one of the things you would hear coaches say is, no pain, no gain. How many of you have heard that? That was, that was their way to be able to abuse you legally, I think, to uh, run you till you got sick or to uh, make you get up early and practice hard or whatever. No pain, no gain. But the truth is that to some extent that, that is correct, that, that to push yourself to be better, it takes some pain, it, it takes some suffering. And, and the sad thing and the uncomfortable thing, that's true in the spiritual life and in life in general, not just in in athletics. In 2 Corinthians 4, we're going to look in verse 8 through the end of the chapter tonight, we see some, um, some really tough but wonderful truths. And here's the first thing. Uh, the Christian life is wonderful and it's tough. Christian life is wonderful and it's tough. Folks, uh, the health and wealth gospel is just not true. Now, if you live for Christ, it is the healthiest way to live, but that doesn't guarantee you're going to have a healthy life. If you handle your finances for the way the Bible tells you to, that's the best way to have good finances. It really and truly is, but it's a misnomer to think that you're not going to ever have financial problems or you're going to be a multimillionaire. Uh, in this passage, it's, it, Paul is using kind of some military or gladiator concepts here. You can almost see the struggle in the things he says and uh, in the things he presents. But, but here's a, a first part of this. Everyone in life experiences pain. Okay. So not, if you're an atheist tonight, an agnostic, you don't know if there is a God. The truth is everyone experiences pain. In verse eight of chapter four, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. That's kind of an interesting wording there, isn't it? Uh, When he uses the word pressed, it literally is the picture, especially it would have been relevant 2,000 years ago. We're still in the the, the right parts of the the world of of crushing grapes, of of crushing grapes. How many of you ever feel like life is pressing on you? I want, to, I want to lift your spirits, and I want to show you three of the, probably the best theologians of the 20th century, just a 30-second video clip of what it's like. Many of you may even feel like this tonight. Let's watch this video clip. Buckwing was sizzling like a hot hamburger. He grabs Kirk by the neck like that, see, and drags him over to the leather press, see? Then he smacks him on the head like that. Then he pokes his coconut into the leather press, see, like that. Then he says, I'll squeeze the cider out of your Adam's apple. Then he gives him the works like this. Then he keeps turning and twisting. That, ladies and gentlemen, is... Okay, how many of you can say that you've been to church before and seen the Three Stooges? But how many of you feel like Curly sometimes? That you're getting pressed and pressed and pressed. I mean, that's, uh, that's the truth. Or you're like Mo. It, you seem like everybody else is getting pressed, then the press flies off and hits you in the head. Uh, that's what he was saying here. And then he uses the next concept, perplexed. We're pressed and we're perplexed. It literally means is that we're at a loss. 
we, we don't know what to do. We don't know what's right, what's wrong. We don't know which way to, well, it, not necessarily morally, they know what's right and wrong. Paul was saying, well, we're, we're at a loss. We don't know which direction to head. This is a true story. I don't know where in America it happened, but a state trooper pulled over a lady, and she was going 22 on a highway with a 65-mile-hour speed limit. And he pulled her over because, you know, you're going 22. You're just as dangerous as someone going 82 on a 65. And he pulled her over, and he said, ma'am, goodness gracious, why are you going so slow? She said, I was driving the speed limit. She said, what? He said, what are you talking about? He, and he pointed. She pointed, and it was Highway 22. She was on Highway 22. And he said, ma'am, that's the highway side. And she said, well, that makes sense. I guess when I was on Highway 127, that's why people were freaking out when I came passing by them, and everybody else was going so slow. That was someone who was disoriented, amen? And you and I get disoriented too, don't we? We, we really do. We, we get crushed. We get pushed. And it happens to save people. It happens to lost people. There were some students from Samford University in Alabama had gone to, to rural parts of the state years ago on mission trips. And they were down near a rural area near Montgomery. And they came upon a lady lived out in the country, and, and it was clear she had five or six kids running around the house, and, and she was trying to manage all that. And it was back in the day, you, 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 dry, you know, you'd dry your clothes on the clothesline, and she had just tons of clothes. And you could tell, you know, she was 30, but she looked 50. She was working herself to death. And they began to witness to her, and they said, Ma'am, don't you want eternal life? And she said, eternal life? She said, I can't handle this life, much less the thought of living on. That's Life is tough. It, it really is. And, and see, if you, are, if you don't understand that, you've you got some rude wake-up calls coming. You have some rude wake-up calls coming. So if you blow that off tonight, that, that's fine. That, that's your immaturity and, and your lack of spiritual depth. You will find out at some point life is tough. But here's another twist on it, too. Christians get persecuted. Christians not only experience life like everyone else, but Christians have to deal with persecution. Look what he says in verse 8 through 11. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, confused, but we're not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body for we are who we are alive and always been given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal bodies. The word persecuted there means to be pursued. It, it means to be prosecuted. It's literally the picture of a dog on a hunt chasing after a rabbit. And uh, Paul says, we know what it's like to be persecuted. Now, in America today, whether we are persecuted like they are in other parts of the world, no, we're not. But we, we are criticized for our faith, and we are, I think, going to be attacked for our faith more and more in the days ahead. In fact, I believe in the next 50 years that churches will get along a whole lot better. You know why? Because the only people who are going to be going to church are the people who are serious about God. For 200, 300 years in America, it, going to church was popular, it's not going to be popular the more and more culture turns on us and against us. And, and listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to be uh, somebody that's pitching some weird thing there. That's just the truth. Uh, in my lifetime, 
the criticism of Christian beliefs has been up to 1,000%. Matthew 5, 10 through 12, listen to what Jesus says. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Thanks a lot, Jesus. Couldn't he have said something better? Blessed are those who make good money. Blessed are those who are happy. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Now, that's important. Some people get persecuted because they're jerks, right? Okay? Not because you're a religious jerk, but because of your rightness with God. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11 and 12. Blessed are you when your people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Now, that didn't say anything about physical abuse there, did it? Did not say one word. Now, that's a persecution, getting your fingers chopped off. But those are persecutions too. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. We'll see that part of it more in just a moment. Listen, Christians, and when you try to do the right things, you are going to be attacked. In other words, you're upping the level of the toughness in your life. Isn't that discouraging for me to tell you that tonight? Well, I hope not. I, it, it's not meant to be discouraging. It's meant to be informative and to let you know that life is hard on everybody. The good, bad, and the ugly, the rich and the poor, life is tough on everybody. And Christians face another aspect of this. They will be persecuted. But let me give you a third thing here, too, is that it costs you to love and to win and to grow other people for Jesus Christ. Those are our church themes, mottos, but those are very biblical principles to love and and to win and grow people. Verse 12 through 15 So then death is at work in us, but life is in work in you. You're going to see the us to you throughout this. It is written, I believe, therefore I've spoken with that same spirit of faith. We also believe and speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us from the dead. Listen to what he says. uh, And present us with you in his presence. All of this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Paul knew as he tried to love people, he tried to win people to Christ, and he tried to disciple and grow them up in Jesus. It's tough. It is tough. You, you cannot be, and, and I'm, I'm using the word minister to talk about what everyone in here is supposed to do and to be, not just the paid people. You can't minister on your terms. Have you ever noticed that? You, you People want to come to Christ at 2 in the morning, don't they? I mean, it's great when they do it at 11.55 on Sunday morning. But that's not always the case. It'd be nice if everyone went to the hospital or got sick during work hours, wouldn't it, for us ministers? That's just not the way it is. And when you're trying to live for Christ and serve Christ and reach people, the devil's going to attack you. The devil's going to fight against you, and it's just hard. It's hard to be, and it's, it's wonderfully, it's wonderfully, beautifully great, but you're in a battlefield. It's going to be tough. Years ago, there were two men in the church I was pastoring. Both of them were, one of them was in his about 40, and the other one was in his late 20s. They'd become Christians. And I remember them telling me this. This was uh, independent of each other. They, they weren't necessarily buddies or anything. And they both said to me, you know, I never realized how hard it was going to be to follow Jesus. Isn't that interesting? I think they would have both told you it was the greatest decision they ever made. So, number one, following Jesus is the most wonderful thing you can do 
but it's going to be tough. Now, let's look at this from this passage. This is very important, too. Pain is one of the most effective ways Christ-likeness is developed in us. You see, if you're a Christian, the, the goal of growing as a Christian is not to grow here primarily. It's to grow here and here. You follow me? You got, listen, you stand before God someday. He's not going to say, tell me everything you know about the Bible. He's going to want to know what you did for Jesus, how was your heart, how you served, how you loved, how you evangelized, how you disciple people. And one of the ways that that is developed in our lives, that's called Christ-likeness more than any other way, unfortunately, is pain. Verse 10 and 11, let's look again. We always carry around in us, in our body, the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. Folks, God, Jesus wants to reveal himself through you. For in verse, verse 11, for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. Folks, did you get what that just said? The goal of discipleship, when we talk about, we talk about love, winning, grow, the goal of growing is not to grow you into some academic theologian, but to grow you and me to look more like Jesus Christ. To be nicer and to more be loving and more holy and more evangelistic and to be a better servant. And if we're not doing that, we're failing. Amen? And the way that happens the best in your life and my life is when we get a little pain on us, unfortunately. I'm determined to let God do what he wants to do in my life now without pain so he has to use as little as possible. <laughs> John 15, 1 and 2. John 15, 1 and 2, here's what it says. It, it says that Jesus is the, the master gardener and that he is constantly working on you. He says, pruning us. I'm the vine and my father is the gardener. He, listen, he cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. While branch that does bear fruit, he looks at it and he goes, they are all, no, what does he do? He prunes that so it will be even more fruitful, okay? Now, if you're out pruning a tree in your yard, that's, that's okay, isn't it? How many of you like the image of God using the electric, electric shears on you? <laughs> you see, God, God is constantly trying to trim away the excess and the garbage in your life and my life. Whether it's immorality or unholiness, whether we just got a stinking attitude, whether we're lazy, God is always trying to chop and prune because the goal is not to make you a Ph.D., but to make you more like who? Make, make you more like Jesus. And, and, the, and the, the way that happens best in your life and my life, unfortunately, is through pain. How many of you wore braces on your teeth? I wore braces, and, you know, I can remember that was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. But I can still remember the... How many got braces on tonight? Anybody? 
It's still painful, isn't it, Laura and Alana? It is. You go, you go and see what they're trying to do is they're trying to make your mouth pretty, correct? And it's a weird thing. They have to pull teeth to make your teeth pretty. Isn't that weird? And then they put metal in your mouth, and they're constantly <laughs> tightening it to make you look pretty. Every time I'd go to the dentist or the orthodontist when I was a young person, for three days you can't eat. You're a, you're a 14-year-old boy, and you can't get in a fight. That's a bad position to be in, too. Because if you get hit in the mouth, you're going to cry like a 4-year-old girl because your mouth hurts. But you know what happens after you wear those braces for 17 years or whatever? You smile, and you have decent-looking teeth. It took the pain to get the beauty. So I just don't want you to be surprised I want you to understand that Jesus' goal in your life is not, it's not something weird or odd. It's to make you more like Jesus. And, and one of the ways he does that more than any other way effectively is he does it through pain, through our sufferings. Now, does that mean God causes all the pain? Absolutely not. Romans 8.28 says this, though, that in all things, God works for the good to those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That, that verse doesn't say God causes everything. Absolutely not. It says that, that no matter what happens, whether it's God's perfect will or whether the devil got involved or whether somebody was just dumb and caused that pain in your life, that God can put his hands in that and use it for our good. Isn't that great? Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, listen to what Paul says. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but we might rely on God who raises us from the dead. God uses his suffering to help us to be more like him. Christian life's tough. It's wonderful, but it's tough. One of the things God's trying to do is he's trying to make you more like Jesus. Here's the third thing about our pain. Pain helps us help others. I want to ask you a question. Then I'm, going to, I'm tricking you. Really, I am tricking you. How many of you want God to use you? Oh, good, Josh. Don't raise your hand. There goes your raise. <laughs> Let's do it one more time. How many of you want God to use you? Amen. I think everybody here does. Now, after I read this, you probably won't. Verse 12 through 15. So then death is at work in us, but life is in work, at work in you. Now, you see, you see what he's saying here? We're suffering, but it's for your good. It's, it's written, I believe, therefore I've spoken with that same spirit of faith. We also believe and speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. Look in verse 15. All of this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people. And they saying, man, this is awesome. The, the kingdom's expanding they cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. You know what Paul said? Paul said, man, I'm suffering, but, but as I suffer, it benefits you. As I suffer, I'm able to minister better. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 4, let's look at that. Who comforts us, read this out loud with me. Who comforts us in all of our troubles... Isn't that, a, isn't that a staggeringly good verse and scary verse? 
that God uses our pain to help us be more effective for other people. Now, you do a little research on your own, but here's what you find out. I'm telling you the truth. The people in the Bible God used the most suffered the most. I mean, my prayer on a regular basis is, God, use me. God, use me. But the people God used the most in the Bible were the ones who suffered the most. Moses lived like a king for 40 years, lived in the desert for 40 years, and lived with a bunch of crazy people for the next 40 years. Arguably one of the greatest men in the Old Testament. Paul, my goodness. Thirteen books bear his name, but Paul suffered and suffered. Do I even have to go into Jesus and what he suffered? You see, I think most of us here tonight genuinely want to be used by God, but what we need to understand is that to be used by God, it means that we're probably going to suffer some. It makes us more usable. See, here's the truth. God... God can't use you if you're arrogant. God can't use you if you're not merciful. God can't use you if you don't have a kind and teachable spirit. So how does God, how does God break you and make you humble, make you merciful, and make you kind, and make you teachable? Unfortunately, most of us only learn that lesson in the fire. Because when there's enough pain on us, someone said, in our victories, in our ease, God whispers. But in our pain, God shouts. He gets our attention. One of the great things that comes from our pain, not only does it help us be more like Jesus, it helps us to be more effective ministers. So here's the last big thing to bring it together. Keep your eyes on Jesus and eternity. Okay, I'm going to suffer. Christian life's the best life. It's hard. But in that pain, that pain's going to help me be more like Jesus. That pain's going to help me be more usable by Christ. But how in the world do I make it when the pain's at its worst? Verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Did you know this? You're dying. Do you know that? We're all dying. I think what Paul's saying here, too, is that we're all getting a little grayer, a little balder. Even you on the front row. I don't know, you peak at some point, and then it's downhill, isn't it? But here's what he said. Paul said, hey, we're dying. We're dying on the outside. But, man, as we walk with Jesus, we're getting stronger and stronger on the inside. Isn't that great? In verse 17, look what he says. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now listen, when he says light and momentary troubles, Paul was pressed, perplexed. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 1, he felt the sentence of death, they were going to die. He's using those terms in a relative sense because his troubles and his pains were anything but easy and light. But what he's saying is, he's saying his pains and your pains and my pains are light compared to eternity. Now, folks, if I got on a scale tonight, I would weigh more than three or four of you. But if we got a gigantic gorilla on another scale beside me, I would look like a lightweight. Amen? And that's how I like to compare myself to a silverback gorilla. I'm thin compared to him. 
See, that's what God's saying here. God's saying your pain and your suffering may be real, real tough. It, it may be no fun at all. But he's saying we're looking at two different scales. We're looking at what we go through here versus what God's waiting for, waiting for us in heaven someday. I don't know how many of you played football, but I played football for a long time. Coach Gatlin's been a coach for a long time. And, and if you don't know much about football, let me fill you in. With football, before there's ever a game, you have what's called fall practice, fall camp. And it's miserable in the south because it's 115. The humidity's high. Coaches are mean. They're not anymore, I'm sure. But, you know, they used to be back in the day. And I remember as a young person thinking, this is never going to end. The pain of this, the misery of this. It's four weeks to our first game. I don't know if I can endure this misery. And then all of a sudden, it's Friday night, four weeks later. And back, when I, back in the day, we got to wear our jerseys to school. So you were recognized and you were cool. And then you got to go out on Friday nights, and everybody was cheering, and it was exciting. And you know what? You, you forgot about the pain of those last four weeks. And that's what God's talking about here. I, I've heard Clayton say this, and I think it's exactly right. You know, if we would look at our pain in light of eternity, I may have to endure something terrible for 20 years, 30 years, 50 years. Ugh! Man, I'm going to be in heaven a billion years. I'm going to be in heaven 10 billion years. And then when you weigh them on the scale, you know what? The eternal scale of what God has in store for us far outweighs our troubles, doesn't it? So he tells us one other thing in this, and that's keeping your eyes on eternity in Jesus. Look in verse 18. So with that in mind, with that in mind that what's waiting for us is so much greater than the suffering we experience. Now look what he says in verse 18. So then we fix our eyes not on what is seen, the pain, the misery, the hurt, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. It's real, it's hard, it's tough. But what is unseen, God in heaven, is eternity. Jesus is saying, look, life's tough. Christian life's wonderful, but, but it's tough. God's working in your pain. God's using your pain, but it can overwhelm you. And God's saying, what you've got to do is keep your eyes on Jesus and on what's waiting on the other side. Amen? Isn't that great? Keep your eyes on what God has in store for us. I've had pilots, of small plane pilots, tell me, about how they have to fly in bad weather. These are guys who are instrument trained. There's different levels of pilot licensing. You, you can fly by eyes, or the more advanced you get, you learn to fly by instruments. And, and what they've told me is that, that you can be, especially in a smaller plane, and if the weather's bad or if it's dark, you can get disoriented trusting your instincts and your, your vision and trusting uh, what you think is right. And I've had them tell me you can think you're flying straight when you're actually flying down. That's pretty dangerous. Or that you're flying level when you're actually like this. And they said what they have to learn to do is to trust the instruments, not how they feel, not what they hear from the person sitting beside them going, why are you doing that? You know, why, why are you changing direction? They've got to trust what the instruments say because the instruments are the thing that's going to lead them home safely. Folks, here's what Jesus is saying. Keep your eyes on eternity. Keep your eyes on him. 
Too many of us focus on our feelings, our emotions, our instincts, or what someone else says. God says, keep your eye on the, uh, here, here, here's your, your instruments right here. Keep your eye on your Savior and your Master. I had a scuba diver tell me one time that, that if they were in dark water and, and they get disoriented and you, they're, they're far enough down, you can't see the light. And they said, what do you do? You follow your bubbles because your bubbles always go up. To many of us, we're chasing the bottom of the pond. The bubbles always go. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Life's tough. It's hard. It's hard as a Christian. It's, it's a lie to say it's not going to be. It's the best life, but it's hard. But here's what Jesus says. When you weigh the hardness of this life against what God's got in store for you, it's no comparisons. The glory and, and, the, and the reward are so much more wonderful. So the way we have victory here is we keep our eyes on Jesus. Isn't that great? We're going to stand in just a moment. I want to challenge you to respond to Christ. If you're not a Christian, when we stand, you come and give your life to Jesus this evening. If you're here and you're ready to join the church, we would love for you to. One way you can do that is coming. We'll be waiting on you. You can join here this evening. Maybe you just want to come and pray with a minister or pray at the altar. Maybe you do need to turn your eyes back on Jesus and trust him again, afresh and anew. Let's stand. We'll be waiting on you.